my day, we had a pretty big rivalry. Yeah, in my day, you guys showed up to a party we were at and brought guns. My doctoral dissertation is about the fabricated East Berlin spying case in 1967. Hey, are you going to ask me those cool questions that I prepared answers for? Yes, that's at the <laughs> end of the podcast. Oh my gosh. Now, was that a high E? That was a double high A. <laughs> the moneymaker. Oh, I never had a license. Ha! Ah, how about that? Because the Navy doesn't require one. <laughs> You're naive and crazy. That's mm-hmm. when things happen. Because if you know, yep. you're never going to do it. You think you need to have your pinky up at all times with your blazer on and your crisp white shirt. It's really not that deep. But that's the thing, man. You know, it's just you, not. A lot of these young kids is getting written off. I'm like, how are you going to write off a 10-year-old? I'm not really interested in dying here. And, like, they don't bring you the paramedics, nothing. There's a guy. Not even a Band-Aid. Who was shot in the back of his head, which made his face explode. Because the exit wound's always bigger than the entry wound. In fact, in Iraq, all the major routes were named after porn stars. Fun fact. Yeah, I don't make up these things. Ladies and gentlemen, Guest Book Podcast proudly presents the best of 2019. I know y'all been out there with your guest book podcast withdrawal, scratching your arms. The wait is over. We're back. And for this very, very special, special, special episode, we have quite possibly the most mentioned podcast from our listeners out there. They love her voice. <laughs> Ladies and gentlemen, the star of episode number 70, Christina DiBianchi. Hey. <laughs> Man, my whole government. So when we last left our hero, you were about to start teaching at a new school. Yes. In a new grade. Yes. So we're more than half a year in. Yes, we are. Mm-hmm. What are some positives? The positives are, you know, you get to learn your craft a little bit better with a different audience. So before it was high school and now it's middle school and they're more demanding and they require a bit more creativity. And you also need to be able to have a little bit more theatrics under your belt, hmm. if that makes sense. And yeah, that's what I got for you so far. <laughs> well, that's enough. Yes. Because this episode isn't about me, it isn't about you. Although okay. you are featured quite prominently in it. <laughs> it's about y'all out there. Yes. I've painstakingly compiled some of the best clips snippets recommendations of 2019 Mm -hmm. and it's been wonderful we've definitely upgraded i think podcast sounds a bit better we also introduced the intro music as well as the standard intro and i want to say first off thank you thank you thank you to every single guest that we've had on throughout season two as well season one shout to y'all And even though we couldn't include every single episode on here, honestly, every episode is worth listening to. Mm -hmm. And you can pick something out of it that you will find interesting or can apply to your life. These in particular were ones that stood out, be it because they were something enlightening or inspiring. Or as when we get to the seven questions, you'll see they were answers that were provided more than once Mm. by separate guests. So we had to include those. So it's not so much about these are the best answers. It's more so 
these from a crowdsourcing standpoint stood out. Right. So without further ado, let us get started. And I guess we will start Mm. where we ended our little snippet montage at the beginning with one of the more popular episodes and actually one of my favorites, uh, Joshua Hutchison, episode 69. We recorded over two hours of audio for that and we only kept less than an hour. I could literally make a B-side episode with the stuff that I still wanted to keep but just couldn't keep. Yeah. I mean, his story was pretty interesting. He was, quite frankly, very graphic in his description of his experiences in Iraq. So definitely worth a listen. I mean, I'm impressed. And the clip is just not enough. So Yeah. This part in this clip, we sampled some highlights of when he went to boot camp at the beginning. But in this actual episode... He went to Iraq during the aughts three times and he got to see the evolution of the war in Iraq that kind of illustrated how America was looking at and operating in this war. I saw it as him starting off really young Mm -hmm. throughout the years. It seemed like he was maturing and his point of view has changed. Yes. Give this clip a listen. Fast forward to. We'll see when you get back. September 11th, 2001. I'm in my parents' basement, watching Teletubbies, smoking a bong. I hear there's something going on in the news. I turn it to the news. I see what's going on in the world trade. I said, oh, f- I'm screwed now. Because now I'm going to go to boot camp and be in the army when there's a war going on. So you're like 21 around this time, right? Yes. Okay. I turned 21 at boot camp on a gas chamber day. It's a cabin. You go in with your mask. Mm-hmm. They make sure you have a nice tight seal. Mm-hmm. They make you take off your mask. Mm-hmm. It's a big empty room in the middle of the floor. Coffee canister with a CS riot gas. Then you have to walk around in a circle three times with your mask off. And then you go outside. Uh, luckily it was raining. You get snot coming out. You're crying. Like some people doesn't affect as much as others, but it's bad. So yeah, when we had graduation, uh, the drill sergeants call parents in one at a time with their kid. So I I went in me and my dad and drill sergeant was there. And then he decided to smoke me in front of my dad. What's smoked? That's like in movies where you, hear someone say drop and give me 20 mm-hmm. that's called being smoked and it's not so much about doing the 20 it's about doing the 20 over and over and over and over again. you don't do 20 you do it until he tells you you're done <laughs> so yeah real sergeant had this thing he called the funky and that's where he'd smoke the hell out of you if you really did something I got the funky once what's the funky that's where he smokes you to death. You're still here, though. I went and spent the day in the hospital. That's not healthy. I couldn't use my legs. He made me do so many squats while holding my rifle above my head. I couldn't walk downstairs. My legs were straight up jelly. Wow. They took me to the hospital. I spent. That was a day off, too. <laughs> Silver lining. Yeah. This next clip falls in the bucket of inspiring Thomas Nebel episode 43 went from full vision 
to being blind in a six-month period. Yeah. When I put together this episode, because we we're going through the audio medium, I wanted to do it in such a way to where the reveal that he was blind didn't happen until the middle of the episode. And then he explained LHON and how his life just completely changed at age 23. Yeah, he was really young. I think it's interesting that his take on being blind isn't like, you know, helpless. Exactly. It's like he had to learn how to relearn his surroundings. And that is what makes it so interesting to listen to. It's like stepping into his shoes for a minute. Yeah. So at the age of 23, in half a year, you lost your full vision. Correct. Okay. And did they figure out what was the cause for this? Yes, I did get a diagnosis. Um, they said I may have partied too hard, <laughs> which is to say there is a rare mitochondrial genetic disorder called Leber's hereditary optic neuropathy. Whoa. It's abbreviated L-H-O-N, and it's passed on maternally, so I wouldn't pass it on. But it is more likely to activate and wipe out the optic nerve in guys in the early 20s. And so was there anyone else in your family that, you know, in the past had this disease that was known of or is this something that... Only in my great uncle, of course, on my mom's side. And it was unusual in him that it, it didn't activate until he was in his 80s. It was about six months before it activated in me. So... That was interesting coincidence, but still nobody put it together and said, Thomas, if you party this hard, you might go blind. I'm sorry. So when you say partying hard, that literally activated the disease. Uh, I don't beat myself up about it, but, you know, alcohol is a toxin. And uh, if you stress your, uh, your poor little mitochondria, it might not be able to take it. So when the first onset happened. Mm hmm. Did you notice this after a really hard night of partying or was this a random Tuesday you woke up? Maybe both. It was a random Tuesday, <laughs> but it was gradual also because it started in one eye and it starts in the, the center in the fovea where all the good stuff is, you know, your detail and color vision. And so at first I didn't know it just started to become uncomfortable to read. And so there were several tests before I got a diagnosis. It's it's pretty rare. It's like one in 50 or 100,000. Wow. Once I got diagnosed and I had lost vision in one eye, I could still, I was still kicking around all right. I didn't have a cane yet, but I had stopped driving, of course. And um, it was just kind of weird. There was a phase in between where I could still see people, but they didn't have faces. So I, I experienced that for a month or two. And I just thought, hey, I can still get around, can't drive, can't play video games, but I'll be all right. And I just thought to myself, if I lose the other eye, I'll be totally blind and that's going to be an issue. That's going to be game over. I just, I couldn't imagine going on like that. I figured it would just end all my plans in life as it was. But... Then it happened. One morning I woke up, totally blind, pretty much like walking in super heavy fog. But that day I still had to go to class. So that's what I did. 
just moving extra slowly down the many stairs that the UMBC campus has. And that was my first, and it's a really important lesson, that you really don't know what something's going to be like when you don't have experience with it. Unstoppable. (laughs) (laughs) Shout out to Ramona on Power, Mm -hmm. the Democratic strategist, who I'm sure... One or more of those candidates on the debate stage last night could probably have used her tutelage. Perhaps Michael Bloomberg? Absolutely. <laughs> I don't know if she could have helped him. <laughs> that ether gif is so hilarious. It's over, man. <laughs> the person we are talking about and who the next clip features is none other than quite possibly the most famous guest that we've had on the podcast thus far. Cynthia Adai Robinson, episode 33. Kind of like with Joshua Hutchinson's episode, I was able to get a period of time in their life that they recounted all in one place. Mm-hmm. This specific clip, though, talks about auditioning. Yeah. I admit, you know, I'm still caught on the whole, you know, ending of power, but <laughs> I just wanted to see her more. Yeah, as did I. Unfortunately, Ghost got shot. Yeah. And you can be sure she's going to be on one of those future power. Yeah. Uh, books I think what book three where they do Lauren's Tate yeah she's got to be in that she's going to be in it for yeah. sure so it's great to see her range so yeah. we'll and, see. and it's good to see her glowing up out here in the world oh my gosh real talk <laughs> yeah but give this one a listen actually one of the the experiences that also encouraged me to go to LA when I was still in New York I was occasionally uh, a reader which is the person that when an actor comes into audition you need the other role. You need somebody reading the other part. And so that was me, briefly. And um, it was incredibly eye-opening because I thought, wow, this is what people are doing in the room? Oh, okay. Well, if that's the case, my odds are pretty good. I'm like, if this is what most people do when they come in, and it's not just reading the material, it was, it was all the stuff. I, I mean, I call it the audition before the audition. You know, you walk into a room and you already are telegraphing something, you know. I mean, it's like life, you know, like it's like dating. (laughs) It's like you walk into the restaurant and some people blow it as soon as they walk in. Mm. Some people already. The nonverbal body language or. Yeah. Or even just being almost having like an apologetic presence in the room. Mm. It's fascinating, actually incredibly eye-opening to me to see what people did because of nerves or because of, you know, overconfidence or there are all these things that like they're small, but like they can put you off on the whole thing. And then there's also the X factor where it's like, you know, there was just something about that person. Like they messed up the lines, they weren't exactly right, but like they've really got something. And you don't normally get to see that as an actor. You only know your own performance. But in seeing other people, I was like, if this is what most people are doing, then my odds are actually not so bad. Episode 71, Stephen Bright. I'd say probably one of the best, if not the most informative episodes that we've done. One of my favorite episodes. This one... It hits home because I have a nephew, five years old, and he's growing up in a society where black male lives are not seen as worthy 
in the grand scheme of things. Police officers can get off for simply shooting a person who, you know, doesn't look like them and it's okay. And this particular episode really emotionally speaking, just it woke me up and it just reminded me of all the people who are trying to fight the good fight. Even lawyers like Stephen Bright, who is trying to do the best that he can in circumstances where everything is against him and the people that he's representing. So definitely take a look at this clip. Definitely take a big listen to it. It's worth it. African-American men are getting shot by police officers uh, all across the nation. Right. But yet and still, these officers are able to get off. Right. And sometimes not even be charged. Right. Is a similar thing happening there? Well, what's happening there is you're seeing these prosecutors where their racial bias, uh, instead of charging these officers, often going to the grand jury, which is not the trial jury. The grand jury is a larger jury which helps the prosecutor decide whether to charge people or not. Normally, all the grand jury does is hear the evidence and decide either, yes, charge the person, there's enough evidence to charge them, or no, there's not enough evidence, so don't go forward. But what's happened in the Tamir Rice case and what happened in uh, Ferguson uh, after Michael Brown was killed and what happened in Staten Island uh, after Eric Garner was choked to death was the prosecutors uh, called the officers and called their witnesses in the grand jury. This is not a, a an adversary process. There's no, uh, no, the people who were wanting them to be indicted did not have a voice in this. And then they would, uh, the prosecutor can pretty much get the grand jury to do whatever he or she wants, uh, and the grand juries would not indict, would not charge, and they'd say, well, they've been exonerated. Uh, that's not true. I mean, it's just simply not true. It's using the system, twisting the system to make it come out a certain way. Yeah. So correct me if I'm wrong. What you're saying is the grand jury happens before the trial jury. Right. And the grand jury is just in place to figure out, hey, is there enough to move forward with the trial? Exactly. Okay. Unlike a trial jury where you have the prosecution and the defense, which right. both present their case. Right. In the grand jury... Only the prosecution presents. Right. And it's in secret. It's all done in secret. It's not public. A trial jury, as you know, is like if there's a trial, everybody can go and watch and the public can watch. And it's an adversary process. There's the defense and there's the prosecution. Each side makes the best case it can. And then the 12 people on the jury uh, make a decision about whether uh, there's guilt or innocence. The real problem with those cases, with the use of the grand jury, was the way the prosecutor abused the grand jury process. Regardless of whether those people were fair people or not, the grand jury is not designed to be a trial jury. And that's what those prosecutors in those three cases treated the grand jury as if it was a trial jury. It's not a trial jury. Uh, It's in secret. It's not an adversary process. And so the prosecutor can present the evidence in a way that foreordains what the outcome is going to be. So it's like they're rigging. It is rigged, yeah, sure. Yeah. That was a segue by me, by the Up way. Next to the article that you had asked. Scott Dugdale from episode 52, sound designer extraordinaire from Facebook, of all places. This clip made me think about alarm clocks. Continue. I'm going 
somewhere with this. I okay. promise. I, hey, I, I could listen to you talk all day. <laughs> I was thinking that if there is a tone or a frequency that annoys the mess out of you, you want to find the complete opposite, right? So that you could put that in an app or you can put that on your phone or in this case, Facebook Messenger, so that every time you get a message, it's not annoying. I think that I've just never considered that being like a branch of science, like per se, right? Like someone actually has a job and they sit down and they have to figure out what works to not annoy anyone so that they could repetitively get that sound because they're receiving messages. Mm -hmm. And at the same time, it doesn't drive them nuts. Yeah. So yeah, give this clip a listen. I like it. uh, My boss Will coined quite a while back when we were working on Messenger is repetitive tolerance. How many times can that sound play before it drives you crazy? And if it does, maybe that's not the sound. Maybe we're in the wrong direction. There's a frequency that's annoying something. And you try to chase down what it may or may not be. You may have to go back to the drawing board. But we are really, really conscious about that in our design work. When you are stress testing repetitive tolerance, are you saying there's some days where it's like, hey, I think we got the sound, so put it on repeat. Yeah. And it's playing in the background for hours at a time. Absolutely. Is there a threshold at which you're like, you know what, if we can make it past this point? I don't know that there's a measurable one, but I think the ones that aren't working, you know pretty quick. There you go. You know? And I think that's a good sign. If if it's been playing for a while and you aren't like drawn to it every single time, that's probably good because in the real world, of course, you're not going to ever hear it that way. And if the sound is designed well, like I think, you know, we call it pop ding. Everyone calls it pop ding from Messenger. I think that's a really good example of something that you hear it becomes iconic after a while and you can hear that all the time and it it's still pleasing and it still gets your attention and tells you you got a message. Long last, we get to Victoria Tejada, episode 68. Funny story about this episode. We recorded close to two hours of audio. 80, 85% of the episode was about her life story, which is very, very interesting. And then right at the end, after we had finished recording, it just came up that she was a breast cancer survivor. I was like, oh, man, let's get you talking about that. And we'll use this as a secret track. Mm-hmm. And then she told her story. And her story was good 20 or so minutes. And I remember when I was editing that episode, I played it for you. And you were <laughs> like, oh, man, this should just be the whole episode. And I was like, you know what? Yeah, you listened to me. I was like, yes. Not because the story was sad in particular, but because it just spoke to me. It was real and it was authentic. Um, one thing I will say about Victoria is that she's like the sweetest person I've oh, ever she met. Is, she is. And extremely intelligent, too. <laughs> so smart. And she's just really humble. And so I just never even thought that she would have um, been a breast cancer survivor. And hearing her like story, it's just like, wow, this woman is strong. Like... She doesn't talk about it, but it's like there's like a wealth of knowledge there that she just kind of like hid. And then boom, she like brought it up like on the whim, like, yeah, so this is what I've gone through. 
And I just felt like she was just talking to me like I'm her daughter or something, like just giving me wisdom. This episode really is is probably one of the best ones I've heard. I this is actually like what one of my top three, two? Probably. I can listen to it over and over again and it just It's a captivating story. Yeah. And uh I woke up in the middle of the surgery, but I couldn't talk. And I woke up at the same time I heard the surgeon say, Oh, expletive it's malignant so they didn't know until they saw it and later on she said it didn't look right to me Victor it didn't look right and then I I wanted to get people's attention and it's this nightmare that I've heard about people go through where they wake up in the middle of the surgery and they're feeling pain but they can't talk so and I woke up but I think I said ow or something and the next thing I knew the mask came on and I went back to sleep. Then when I woke up in the recovery room I thought I had dreamt it, you know what I heard. But then the surgeon came and I saw in her face, oh no before she got there I thought I was making packs with God and I said if that wasn't a dream and it's true I have two boys. Oh gosh, you're gonna make me cry. I have two boys. I cannot leave them. And I was making all kinds of packs with God. And I remember telling him, I said, or her, I said, you did not bring them into this world so that they'd be without a mother. That doesn't make any sense. How old were they at this time? So they were seven and three. So then the surgeon comes into the recovery room and I could tell on her face it wasn't a dream. And she told me, and I don't think I cried, but the one thing she did tell me make me feel better, she said, I had breast cancer. And I said, and you're here. She said, and you will be too. Yeah, Victoria, you're the bomb, honestly. Yeah, we love you. Can't wait for you to come back to DC, hang out with us again. Absolutely. And for our last clip of the evening, before we get to the best of the seven questions of 2019, we're going to go with our most recent episode to date, episode 77. Oak. My man, Oak Iwiala. I hope I didn't butcher your name, my brother. <laughs> yeah, he's yeah. an educator, man. Oh, dude, he is super educated. I mean, we could do a whole podcast on just the books he's read, literally. And super creative. He's super creative, but he's like, he has an aura about him mm-hmm. that's just so positive. One of the reasons I definitely want to get him on the podcast was because Nigeria is popping right now. Yeah. Like, period. On many different fronts. And here's someone that's been on the ground that can tell you firsthand this is what's going on. Yeah, but he says it with so much love. It's like, So much love. And, and as he country. should. As he should. Mm-hmm. This clip in particular, though, is actually of the secret track on his where he talked about the Africa Peace Walk. And when he explained it to me in the pre-talk, I was already on board, not just because I'm on a big running kick right now, but because it just seemed so like, why hasn't someone done this already? And knowing the philanthropic efforts that he has done and plans in Nigeria, he's going to be the person to do this. And when he does it, I'm going to be there. (laughs) Real talk. 
Take a listen. So you want to talk about the Africa Peace Walk? Yeah, so, you know, it's just something that's always been in the mind. Um, You know, at times you... Africa is a beautiful continent, but you know, at times you hear about the conflicts, whether they're in Nigeria or in Mali or, you know, in the Congo or in Somalia or, you know, Libya. So I've always had this spirit of of something, you know, love, peace and light, spreading it all around the world, building, bringing people together. Why not do the Africa Peace Walk? And it's going to be a transcontinental walk, literally just walking. Going from town to town, village to village, just on the concept of one love, peace. You know what I'm saying? And the whole point to that would be to bring attention to the fact that continentally, we're all one family. Globally, we're all one family. And to really encourage people to put down arms anywhere there's a conflict on the continent. Let's put down these arms. You know, it shouldn't have to be um, that we solve conflicts with these arms. That why can't we be moving on our evolved consciousness level and figure out different ways, you know, for, for how to relate. Where would you start and end? Um, so, well, um, there is uh, one part of me that sees my sees it starting in Cairo. You know, maybe we start at the, you know, right there at the pyramids. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? And, right. and, and we take it down, you know, and take it down, you know, going through as many countries as we can till we get to South Africa, you know. and Cairo to Cape Town? Cairo to Cape Town, one, one version of it, you know. And then, you know, we also wanted to get the east to west action. So, you know out of Somalia or Djibouti all the way out to Dakar, you know what I'm saying? Cutting through sections, you know, of different countries as we move. You know, obviously, you might not be able to touch every single country in that journey, but I think, you know, everyone would get the, the picture, you know. Once you get to Western Africa, would you follow the coastline or would you walk inland? Yeah, so I mean, I think, you know, this have to get worked out, you know, because there, there are advantages to both, you know, but one thing I guess that is a little bit difficult is parts of Niger and Mali that would be along that path might bring you into literally exactly these conflict zones, but maybe that be what you want, you know what I'm saying, so that that's where the statement is made, you know, Um, but I also do see the argument for going along the coast, you know, because that's, that's one of the most beautiful journeys you can ever make, Um, going along the West African coast, an incredible one, so you know, I mean, maybe you guys should shoot us ideas, you know what I mean, for this African <laughs> peace work. But it's something that has been in me, in my spirit for 10 years, you know, and uh, definitely is something to bring out alongside all these other artistic and energetic visionary movements. It's the beginning to the end. Yes, ladies and gentlemen, the part you've all been waiting for. The best of the seven questions. And to repeat, as I said at the beginning of the podcast, we're not saying that Any of these are better than anyone's answers. There's no wrong answer. All the answers were great, especially when looked at in totality, the compendium of information around the world, information in books, information in audio form, information about things you didn't know, information about good tastes around the world. And places to see. Yes, they're all in there. Like Prego. But these were ones, for the most part, that were mentioned by more than one person over the season. Uh, there were a couple, you know, executive decisions by myself for I'm some that mentioned. really. <laughs> I mean, they, they were just really good. Uh, and you'll see, especially when we get to the something you didn't know you need to, you got it. It splits about 50 50 with tangible and intangible items. So the two that were the same were tangible and the one that I chose and added on there was intangible 
and the other one is uh, the number one skill. Mm. And as a special, special, special shout out to my number one guestie bestie, Olivia Johnson. She stayed at the inn with us for nine weeks. Olivia, we miss you. <laughs> miss you so much. And we had a ball. And so on her episode, which is episode 66, she had mentioned about having the special sound effect. So what we did was we found a nice little cute sample. <laughs> and it basically serves as the... An ad lib. Yeah, it's an ad lib. <laughs> that's in between each of the answers that comes up. And it's cute. So... Enjoy. Enjoy. Ready for the seven questions? Bring it. Question number one. What is the book that you would add to the library that we have at the end? Uh, my favorite is Outliers by Malcolm Gladwell. Bram Weinstein. Episode 73. He's my favorite author. I don't read a lot of fiction, so I really, um, I enjoy nonfiction. I enjoy, you know, self-growth type books, and I think he's one of the best at explaining um, you know, other sides of life that maybe aren't delved into. And in Outliers, he speaks to experts at things. And I love the idea of 10,000 hours, that it takes a lot of time to do um, what you do really well. And I actually, as someone, I, I own a consulting company and we deal with a lot of young broadcasting talent. And I often bring it up to them that like, this looks really easy, what we do for a living. It really isn't. And it takes a long time to learn how to do it. And there's no substitute for getting repetitions. And that often in the end, that is the best learning experience. And if you start with bad practices, you will always have them. But if you start with good practices, then over time it will manifest itself. And I, I believe in that book and I just think he's a fantastic writer. So I just like reading what he writes. Yeah, he's really good. Tipping yeah. Point is one of my favorites yeah, as well. Yeah, it's great. Yeah. Bring it. I think there's a book called Outliers. Alexander Hondros, episode 37. I think it's very convenient for us to see someone who's better than us at things and say he's more talented. And the reality is we just didn't work hard enough. You have to put in the hours. We're not talking putting in an hour a week or two hours a week, which is what a lot of people think is practice. Like when you talk about like the top triathletes in the world, it's their life. They're, they're, they're doing intense, intense 40 hour week workouts. Bring it. Question number two, podcast is subscribed. Conan O'Brien's podcast. It's called uh, Conan Needs a Friend, right? Conan Mark, Stanton. Mark Stanton. Episode There's 53. There's a lot of podcasts out Three. there, and some of them are funny, and more of them, a lot of them just feel like, including including Joe Rogan, he's not even that funny. He's just, you get to experience the real and sometimes darker side to the comedians, which can be cool, but honestly, man, with all the news and all the politics and all the shit that I've been following over the last year and two, I'm so burnt out. Having a genuinely funny podcast is exactly what the doctor ordered. So, yeah, Conan O'Brien's is the way to go. Bring it. Um, so one I've been really into lately that I really enjoy because I like his comedy is uh, Conan O'Brien Needs a Friend. Niels Johnson, uh, Johnson. episode 67. 67. But what I really like about it is he's got his assistant, Son of Obsession, mm-hmm. and the podcast producer, Matt Gorley, that chime in every once in a while and just their banter is just hilarious and the premises you know he's got these people come in to hopefully try and find out if they can be friends it's funny i like conan o'brien's type of humor it's self-deprecating and this like real conan like this is him not so much a character like he plays bring it number three something that you didn't know that you needed until you got it immersion blender 
Adriana Domenico, episode 41. It's like a stick blender. Okay. Um, but it's completely straight. Okay. And it just blends things up super efficiently. Okay. And I can make my own mayonnaise at home, and I have never had a mayonnaise break at all. Like, the immersion blender whips up a mayonnaise in 20 seconds, so I don't have to buy mayonnaise anymore. Bring it. An immersion blender. <laughs> Sheila and Alan Sheila Bauer, and Alan episode right 48. 48. For years and years, we'd make our margaritas in, and whatever type substance like that in a blender and you know the blender is a very very tall cup and has a blade down at the bottom and you know, constantly have to take the lid off stop the machine restart it and push it around and make the food go down there and um, with immersion blender you can just take that blender it's a stick blender it's another name for it and it's got the blade at the bottom of a stick and you're operating it at the very top of the button and you just stick it in whatever you want to pulverize so when we would make um, pureed soups, we'd have to put that hot stuff in that old blender. You don't do that anymore. You just leave it in the pot, put your immersion stick blender right down in there and whirl it around. Bring it. Number three, something yeah. you didn't know you needed until you got it. Failure. Ashley Simpson, Ashley Simpson. episode 75. Episode 75. Um, I, so we talked about earlier on, like I was able to persuade people at a very young age, that kind of stuff. So things kind of came to me yeah, somewhat easily. Probably about uh, between you know 2016 and 2017, I failed miserably at work, and it was more so along the lines that you know I was in a new market. I didn't know. You know I wasn't producing as well as I had produced elsewhere. Mm-hmm. And you know, people, men in particular, we identify our value at times by our work. And I was not called on the carpet, but I was told like, look, we got you here for a reason in New York. We want you to do well. And, you know, you're not doing well. Like, what can we do? And for two years I failed. And I failed in a way that wasn't, um, it was like everything I touched just went wrong. Mm -hmm. Everything I touched went wrong. Everything I touched went wrong. I had knots in my stomach. I had headaches. I had, you know, I would wake up in the morning with cold sweats worrying about going to the office. And, um, Toward the end of uh, beginning of 2018, um, I realized that I wasn't owning where I was. I wasn't owning that I was in New York. I wasn't owning the opportunity that I had, and I was constantly worried about what happened in the past. And so, once I realized that I needed to move past that, 18 was just a banner year for me. 19 will be just as great, if not better. But failure, and I mean real failure, and people don't talk about their failures often. Right. Right. But real failure, real failure in the gut where you question your intellect, you question your stamina, you question your value. Those things can either break you or make you. Got a uh, portrait on the, on the wall. <laughs> you Martin know, I, the king. <laughs> the ultimate measure of a man is not where he stands in moments of comfort and convenience, yeah. but where he stands at times of challenge. Yeah. I, you know what? I, I that's that's spot on, that's spot on, but but failure, failure, that type of failure, I never experienced before, mm-hmm. and I have an appreciation for it today. Bring it. Number four, bucket list place to travel. So this is a place in the world that you have been to mm-hmm. that you would recommend the listeners right. add to their right. bucket list. Uh, recently, uh, with some friends, we went to Lisbon, Portugal. 
Sharif Mitchell, Sharif Mitchell, episode 46. This boa is, yeah, it's very, very nice. Yeah, the food was great. Uh, you know, the, the, the topography is, is similar to San Francisco, so it's very hilly. Yes, it is. Um, and even if you think about it, there's there's a bridge that they, that they modeled after the Bay Bridge, the original Bay Bridge. Um, and, and then they have all the trolley cars. Bring it. Lisbon, Portugal. Christina DiBianchi, episode 70. Absolutely beautiful. Very diverse. Shoot. If a place has amazing sangria on the fly, on top of a castle, with Mm -hmm. amazing food, and everyone's really nice. Yeah. And their beaches, pink sand, green waters. Nice. You need to go, y'all. Y'all need to go. And I like it because it's a place that I would actually consider living long term simply because they have black hair care products. <laughs> so it makes me feel very welcome. Bring it. Number five, 50 mile detour restaurant. You're within 50 miles of this restaurant. It makes sense for you to detour off your intended path to travel. Just so I reject the premise of this question. Larry Braithwaite. Larry Braithwaite. I mean, episode 49. Episode, you know, 49. I like good food, but I don't know. You know, like I, I listened to your best of. <laughs> And I and I and I remember that there were some people who were like, "That's ridiculous!" <laughs> like I went detour fifty. I'm kind of in that camp, so I'm a flip it. Right. I'm a flip it. All right. And I'm a say, uh, the best round away joint, and it's gotta be Royal. I went there today. Royal Yard is on Fifth in Florida. The food's exceptional. The vibe is dope. They don't have wait service. You have to order, you know, from the bar and go sit down. It's a, it's an exceptional neighborhood look, and I love it. Everything is just exquisitely done. It's far better and greener than a 50-mile detour, Fred. Bring it. Well, given that I'm in New York often. Ashley oh, Simpson, Ashley Simpson, episode 75. Oh, Every time I come home, there is a place uh, on uh, Florida called the Royal, the Droid Park. And I like it because it's a neighborhood restaurant, mm-hmm. but they're Michelin star. They have great fusion food. And it's like Peruvian and Asian a little bit. Um, and I love a good cocktail. Like I love a good bourbon Manhattan. Anything, anything that's like you know is well, you know, well made. And the staff there is just phenomenal. Um, you go there. You have. A, you can go there on a date. You can go there on a business meeting. You can go there for brunch. You can go there just to hang out and read a book, do some work. Um, it's not pretentious, but the food is fantastic. And no matter where you are on the spectrum of entertaining, mm-hmm. you can go there and have a good time. Yeah, it's really good. So northwest corner of Fifth and Florida, northwest, yeah. uh, right on the corner. It has a really super cool vibe. Yes. I didn't realize it was Michelin star. Yeah, I, I did not know that as well. I think I only knew that a week ago. Yeah, so and I've been there, been going there for at least a year plus. So now I got to make a detour to go yeah. there. <laughs> Bring it. Number six, your number one skill. So this is your number one honed craft, something that you worked at. Okay, so I'm going to sound like a sentimental sap, but I would say the skill that I hold the most is being a mom. Victoria Tejada, episode 67. Every day, I think, I torture myself when I go to bed. Okay, what went right today? What went wrong? How can I do this better? And I got to meet the product 
her two sons, and they are so nice. Oh, and they're so you respectful. Make me cry. And they were so engaged with us adults and asking us questions. They never pulled out their phone. I was so impressed, and they're very ambitious. Thank you. I'm very proud of them, but and and as I told Olivia, and I mean this from the bottom of my heart, I it I can't take any credit because truthfully, they were born that way, and that's how I believe parenting is. And I'm sorry if I'm getting sentimental again, but I believe that regardless of your religion, children come from a higher source, and. Uh, and they come here for whatever their purpose may be. And your job as a parent is to have them realize what their purpose on this earth is and mostly to get out of the way. You don't try and influence them. You don't try and pressure. You don't try to make them to something they're not. But you do the best you can and uh, you just try to get out of the way. So I believe my boys were born that way, and I try so hard just to get out of the way. Of course, I give them love and guidance and all that, but so part of that parenting is, I think, a lot of people have it backwards. They think, oh, I'm the parent, and I'm going to teach you, and here's what you will learn, and so I can boss you around, I can do that. I believe the one thing that children need the most besides love uh, and attention is respect and I think people don't put respect and children in the same sentence I think to teach them respect you have to respect them and from a very and and I was weird like that I remember people would make fun of me because even at a young age I would ask my children what they wanted I always gave them choices I was always asking permission to do things and they would blow their minds away like why are you asking a five-year-old what he thinks of what you're about to do so but I've always felt that they're just really little people they're not these things that we need to mold they know what they're here for you just need to guide them and get out of the way bring it Lastly, number one talent, innate proficiency, something you just had from birth. I can scream at the top of my lungs. Christina DiBianchi, episode 70. Everyone would know it's me. So screaming. When I say screaming, like I could, you know, bring a crowd together or like, (laughs) you know, just, yeah. Having a loud voice. A loud voice. And when I say loud voice, not only just like vocally speaking, but I will advocate for people. So oh, if that I like that. makes sense. Yeah. So I'd advocate loudly for you. Bring it. Well, I, I probably learned at some point that I speak louder than most people. And I suppose I've tried to do the best I could to make some value with that. Stephen Bright, Stephen episode Bright. 71. Well, I'm sort of saying that jokingly, but yes. Yeah, okay. My voice carries, let's put it that way. So I you know, tried to be heard on behalf of people who speak in voices that are too faint uh, to be heard over the, the multitude. As an advocate. Right. So long, farewell, we're leaving for tomorrow. Oh. Ladies and gentlemen, hope you enjoyed 
That was the best of 2019. We have a bank of episodes coming up and some really good ones. Seriously, got somebody from Airbnb. Got a couple people from China, one of which is a stand-up comedian, which I just learned is not really a profession in China. Got a energy consultant who's also an expert on hats. And I mean specifically felt hats, what we would call a cowboy hat. But a cowboy hat is just a type of hat. As always, if you want to reach the boy, unionindc.com is the website. And the email is innkeeper at unionindc.com. And on Instagram, got three handles at guestbookpod for the podcast where don't worry we got guestbook cards for days on deck that are about to be rolled out at union in dc for the inn and at innkeeper freddy where i haven't posted since kobe died rest in peace i've just been hibernating growing my hair that's it yeah in fact that may be the cover of this actual episode picture of me and Christina sitting together with my hair just out here on my Frederick Douglass. Yeah. Yeah. Christina, it's always a pleasure to have you on. Mm-hmm. Likewise. And uh, hopefully we'll get you on another episode in season three. Au revoir. We will see you next week. Loving an elevator, living it up while I'm going down. I'm not sure about that one.